This episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage. From setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to... Hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. I'm Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it is the end of November. Uh, it's time for our mid-month book review. We're coming at you a little bit late this month because, uh, well, Rira, it's been quite a month. I mean, it's it's always quite a month every month <laughs> this year. I think I think it's just been pretty busy for both of us. Um, and in terms of like holiday stuff, it's been pretty stressful. Yeah. Not to mention we are entering what is this like lockdown part two in Southern California? Is it is it part two? Because I feel like part one never ended. <laughs> huh. We're also post Turkey Day 2020. Uh, Rira, how was your Turkey Day? I hate the holiday season so much. <laughs> um one good thing about Thanksgiving this year, though, was I got to spend it at my own house, and I got to cook for myself, and that was really nice. Nice. Um, I didn't have to go to a big dinner where I'm really uncomfortable most of the time, so <laughs> that's good. Um, how about you, Marvin? How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was all right. My family usually does Thanksgiving lunch um, because my brother and I would go to our partner's place for dinner. Um, so we did had a little barbecue in our backyard, and then for dinner I went to my girlfriend's place, where we had um, dinner in her garage. We set up a long folding table, and it had separate sides of the table, so it felt like one of those like scenes from you know those like English estates where you have the husband and wife on like opposite ends of a long ass table. It's a metaphor for their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Like, one of them would be like, pass the salt, honey. And the salt is, like, directly in the middle of the table, and neither of them are willing to get up because they don't want to meet each other halfway in their relationship. Screenwriting. <laughs> Symbolism. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much that. <laughs> we are also post-election. That's true. By the way. And yeah, also post- um, Did Black Friday happen this year? Um, Rira, you work in retail. How was your Black Friday this year? I mean, it... It happened, but I feel like so many businesses have been doing like discounts on a lot of items because they want their online business to actually succeed. <laughs> um, I've been getting 
Um, because I have I have a friend who works in shoe business, and uh, I've been getting a lot of deals from her. It's like, hey, 40% off plus free shipping. And I'm like, it's not even the week of Thanksgiving yet. Why are you guys doing um, cyber sales already? So I'm guessing that Black Friday has just been, what, like a black month? Black. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a bad year for retail anyways. Like this is like their biggest sales weekend. And I doubt they're going to do. Yeah, they make a third yeah. <laughs> of their sales during during between like November and December. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so shop local and shop early if you can. <laughs> well, in the midst of all that, we still have to report the news in Asian American literature. So yeah, let's get to it. Uh, let's start off with the latest book publishing news. Rira, what's our first story? Okay, so we're going to be going down book deals. And our first deal is, in a six-figure auction, Salam Reads bought world English rights to The Love Match by debut author Priyanka Taslim. This YA romantic comedy follows Zara Khan, a Bangladeshi-American sort of princess, who gets caught in a love triangle when her meddling mother sets her up with a suitable match, Jane Austen style. Publication is planned for summer 2022. What type of love triangle do you think this will be? Okay, so it's Jane Jane Austen style, right? So I'm guessing that there's a lot of miscommunication. Mm. So it could just be like, oh, I like this person, but I think that they like the other person, but in, but instead they like me. But because we're kind of frenemies, it's not going to work. <laughs> I got, a lot of Jane Austen books, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of judgy looks across the ballroom and a lot of like, a lot of like gossip and miscommunication. And a lot of so. nagging too, right? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, our next deal. HarperCollins bought world rights to Milu's Mind by Reem Faruqi, illustrated by Hoda Hadadi. Uh, the book is the true story of Mariam Faruqi, the author's grandmother who lived in India in the 1920s when school was seen as unimportant for girls. Yet with courage and determination, she manages to rise to the top of her class and go on to educate thousands of children in India and Pakistan. Publication is planned for 2023. So it's a picture book auto not autobiography picture book biography yeah yeah sounds um, great girl power yeah reem's reem's grandmother sounds pretty <laughs> pretty awesome um next up we have roaring brook acquired world rights to how to hug a pufferfish by author illustrator ellie peterson the picture book is about a pufferfish who establishes boundaries when it comes to her personal space and shows her ocean friends that she cares in her unique way. Publication is scheduled for 2022. Is that what we call a metaphor or an allegory? It, it's, I, think, I think it's an allegory. <laughs> Wait, are pufferfish the ones with the spikes? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, but this book sounds cool because um, it's about like showing boundaries right yeah um as a kid i'm pretty much like the same way now but i really don't like it when people touch me oh. i don't like it i don't like it when people hug me or um or like when you're when you're a little kid like the adults would like pat your head or whatever right mm -hmm. fucking hated it so <laughs> much um like i would tell people like don't fucking touch my hair i didn't curse when i was younger but my but my glare <laughs> would, would curse <laughs> would curse at them. So, I think this is a very important book for um, both kids and parents. Yeah. So that they, yeah, it's like 
if if your kid doesn't want to be hugged, respect your kid's boundaries and uh, kids can learn that they can say no and it's okay. Also great to have in classrooms in case you have kids that need to, you know, talk about these types of things. Very versatile is what I'm saying this book is. Uh, Amazon's Two Lions bought world rights to I Am Able to Shine by husband and wife team Corey Watari and Mike Wu, uh, who were also the author illustrator of the Ellie series. This own voices picture book follows a persistent Asian American girl named Keiko who overcomes obstacles to accomplish anything she can dream of. Publication is set for spring 2022 with a second untitled book that is set for spring 2023. This sounds cute. I wonder what... Yeah, yeah, it sounds really cute. Um, I, I just wonder, like, what it's like to work with your partner, you know? Because they're a husband and wife team, and it's like, how does that work? How does the uh, how does the dynamic work? Well, I imagine one is the author and one is the illustrator, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm getting from <laughs> from the news, which I guess like works out because you can like directly split your work in half. Yeah. Whereas I feel like when 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 you have like co-authors, it can it can go either way. It can go <laughs> like really really well because you like divide divided by like chapters, or it doesn't go very well and you fight a lot. Yeah, I wonder how writing duels usually work. Well, yeah, yeah, because I have I have a friend who um. Like she was married to her writing partner, and um, they work really, really well. They they're like perfectly in sync. Whereas like when I've worked with Dan on other projects, I am very much of a control freak, and I am not a fun person to work with. I, I guess it's case by case. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> definitely so. All right, so our next book deal is HMH's imprint Etch. Acquired world rights to The Worst Ronin by Maggie Tokuda Hall, author of The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea. Illustrated by Faith Schaefer, this YA graphic novel saga tells the story of two women samurai, one running from the grief of her past and the other hoping for glory. Publication is scheduled for 2024. That sounds fun. Yeah, women samurai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to reading it in 2024, just in time for the next election. All right, next up, Delacorte preempted uh, Violet Made of Thorns, a fairy tale-inspired YA fantasy by debut author Gina Chen. Violet is a prophet and a liar, influencing the court as seer with her cleverly phrased divinations. When she is asked to falsely prophesize Prince Cyrus's love story at an upcoming ball, she awakens both a dreaded curse about the prince's future bride as well as a doomed attraction between her and Cyrus, spelling destruction for them all. Publication is set for fall 2022. Yeah, sounds very fairy tale esque <laughs> Fairy tale court drama. I like this idea of um, them having a seer, but she's making everything up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good setup. All right, next up, Scholastic bought world rights to the animated periodic table and an untitled sequel illustrated by Shiho Pate. Readers will be introduced to the building blocks of our world through informative text and comic illustrations. Publication is set for fall 2021. You know, I've owned illustrated dictionaries before, but I don't think I've ever owned an animated or illustrated periodic table. I kind of wish I had when this I was, when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. When I was a kid, 
Uh, my parents actually bought like a like a college encyclopedia. So it, instead of like <laughs> like it would have like all of the uh, medical diagrams and like um, like like planets and cosmos and stuff. It was a very very large book um, <laughs> with a lot of diagrams, and I had that. I, I got that as like my fifth birthday present. I've never owned a set of encyclopedia books. Um, I would always have to go to the library. Do you remember back when we, in order to look up information, we had to go to the library, search through the encyclopedia for like a, a small entry on random topics? Yes, I, I remember <laughs> this. Um, I had ex- encyclopedias, so like I didn't have to go to the library oh, that often. Um <laughs> Yeah, I like I remember like my my middle school was pretty old school. So you had to like go through the library uh, cards, like the, the Dewey catalog. Decimal System, the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System. I was so happy when I moved schools and they had computers and I'm like, oh, thank God. Like <laughs> you can look things up the first time manually looking for them. The first time I ever saw a like computerized catalog was I think it was the Pasadena library when I was in high school. <laughs> that was the first time. Oh god. Am I am I an old? I think we're in uh, this is what you call like the analog to the digital generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um that's, we have the, that's we the have millennials. The unique, yeah, we have the unique uh ability to adapt mm. and learn. All right. Next up, in a six-figure preempt, Amazon Skyscrape acquired world rights to Farah Haran's own voices coming-of-age rom-com, Tahira in Bloom. Pitched as Schitt's Creek meets Netflix's The Big Flower Fight, the book stars a South Asian Muslim aspiring fashion designer. When Tahira's coveted internship falls through, she is forced to spend summer working at her aunt's sleepy boutique in a rural community. In order to keep her plans on track, she needs to innovate, possibly with the help from the plant nerd next door. Publication is slated for late 2021. This sounds very cute. Also, what does plant nerd mean? Someone who's super into plants, right? Does, does that mean like they know the language of flowers, or are they, or are they someone that just has a lot of plants in in their house? Or it's probably like an aspiring botanist or someone who I'm imagining someone who's like literally a geek for flowers, like the study of plants. Maybe a farmer. Who knows? <laughs> Agricultural expert. Well, um, have you watched Shit's Creek? Um, I've seen clips. I haven't dug into the, the series yet. I've heard it's good. It's on my yeah, to I've watch only, list. I've only seen clips. Um, Dan has watched the entire <laughs> thing. But um, from what I've caught glimpses of, it's a pretty funny show. Um, I'm just picturing Tahira, the, the main character, to be kind of a spoiled brat. And kind of, um, I don't know, like very haughty. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like rom com setups, I think it's pretty by the numbers. But I'm excited to see what the um, own voices spin will bring to the story. You know? Yeah. All right. Next up, Abrams acquired Karthik Delivers by Sheila Chari, a middle grade, a middle grade novel set during the financial crisis following a boy who makes deliveries for his family's struggling grocery store while secretly acting in a play about Leonard Bernstein. Publication is slated for spring 2022. Now, which financial crisis? Is this 2008 financial crisis? Which financial or? crisis? <laughs> oh, God. Story of America, right? Uh, 
I'm assuming it's one of those stories where it's like a child of immigrants wants to pursue the arts, but can't because his family needs his help with the business. That is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but so many Asian parents are. I don't know. Like maybe it's just like my generation, but I remember like Asian parents being like, "Oh, you can't be in clubs." <laughs> Like you can't be in after school clubs. You have to go to like cramp school or you have to do community service. Doing clubs at school, unless it's like, I don't know, soccer or some kind of sport, uh, it's useless. It's it's like why would you do that? Even with sports, it's it's like okay, you have to be like phenomenal <laughs> for it to be worth your time. Yeah, basically um, anything that doesn't look good on college applications are um, not necessary, right? But. Um, I don't know. My parents. But the thing were... is, like, it's it's morphed quite a bit since <laughs> since when you and I applied to college. Because I feel I feel like now, like, there are way more different requirements to actually look good on paper. I mean, I think it's people adapting to how the American education system works and how the Asian education system works. Because in Asia, like in Japan or in Taiwan, um, it's it's all about test scores, right? You get into the college of your choice by test score. Um, but in the States, you have to set yourself apart somehow. So that's why I think parents are adapting to the fact that they, their kids need to be, need to be like club leaders or prove like leadership, right? It's not all about test scores. Yeah. I just found out that, uh, they changed the SATs again. Like they got, yeah, they got rid of the writing section. Oh, I was always pretty good at the writing section though. Oh yeah. I got a lot of my points from, (laughs) from the writing section. All right, next up, um, Beaming Books Acquired World Rights to Just As You Are, Every Kid is a Revolutionary, written by Cindy Wang Brandt and illustrated by Lenore Montegal. Uh, the debut picture book declares that every child has what it takes to participate in revolutionary social change, no matter their age, skills, or personality. Publication is set for October 2021. I like this. Let's educate yes. the next uh, generation of firebrands early. <laughs> Fight the power. Take down the system. Burn <laughs> everything to the ground. All right. Next up, Holiday House acquired world rights to Stories of the Islands and another graphic novel by debut author-illustrator Klar Ankasa. Stories of the Islands is based on Indonesian folklore and emphasizes female empowerment. Publication is slated for fall 2023 with a second book planned for spring 2025. Indonesian Indonesian folklore. I don't really see a lot of that in, in children <laughs> books or adult books. Yeah, I'm interested to um, check it out if we get the chance. Um, it's always fun to see other cultures' folklores. I feel like that is a like a highly requested thing amongst Asian parents because <laughs> it's like, oh, I want my child to learn about like our motherland's culture and folklores and. Of course, like up until now, like there's only been a few. So yeah, I mean, it's I, always I nice. feel like most of the folklore we grew up with in America it was like what German folklore. I mean, Grimm's fairy tales is is German, if if I'm correct. And like, but it's also it's also just like overall European because those stories have been passed down like all across Europe. <laughs> and then like the folk, the Asian folklores that I've learned were pretty much all Chinese growing up. Yeah. So it's nice to have diversity there. Yeah. Next up, Little Brown Poppy acquired world rights to Sister of the Bollywood Bride by Nandini Bajpal. The YA novel details one teen's summer spent planning her sister's Indian wedding 
as she balances family, a new romance, and a monster hurricane headed her way. Publication is planned for summer 2021. Sounds fun. <laughs> I love books and movies that center around a wedding. I've still never been invited to an Indian wedding, mm. um, but from what I have seen and heard, it looks <laughs> it looks like a party. It, it looks humongous, and um, it makes sense that there would be some drama happening. Mm. Do you have any opportunities in the future? I don't really have any Indian friends who I aren't had, not married yet. I had two Indian friends um, back in Georgia, and they're already married um and then like my 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 college roommate who's indian american uh she's not married and she's like i don't really plan on it anytime soon so i'm like <laughs> okay well if you do an indian <clears throat> wedding invite me because i really want to experience that although it's tough now the it's tough now in covid times um I was supposed to go to two weddings this year. Both were I'm supposed to go to like off. a lot yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people had to push back their wedding this yeah. year. Maybe next year as well. Yeah, we'll see. A lot of civil ceremonies because you know you still got to get those tax benefits, but um, pushing. But you know, like how Asian weddings work—not just like Indian weddings, <laughs> but like Chinese, Korean, like Southeast Asian. Like it's it's more about like the parents' day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's more about like your parents inviting their friends so that they can brag about you being married. <laughs> okay, so next up, in a seven-house auction, FSG acquired Team Chu and the Laser Tag Adventure, a middle-grade debut by Julie C. Dow, author of The Forest of a Thousand Lanterns. When a Vietnamese-American brother and sister become trapped with their group of friends in a virtual reality laser, ta laser tag game, they must overcome their sub they must overcome their sibling rivalry in order to escape but one of them might have to make the ultimate sacrifice first publication is set for spring 2022 wow so have you been to laser tag i have i've only done it once and that was like at what discover mills or whatever uh. like yeah. Yeah, there's a there's an ultra zone here in in Alhambra near where I live that we used to go with my friends. Um It's all right. I mean, I I wouldn't go these days, but I guess when you were a kid they were kind of fun. Um but yeah, um so from the description, I'm assuming that the laser tag game becomes a death game. Is this like a death game type of um of a story? It's a middle grade book. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go full Battle Royale, if that is what you're thinking. But the ultimate sacrifice sounds very dark. and Ultimate sacrifice, what could that possibly mean? <laughs> it could mean that they have to stay behind in, in, the, in the game. Oh, I guess. Or is it like Sword Art Online, where if you die in the game, you die for real? Maybe. I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It could be a death game, could just be... Um, something else. Yeah, I'm really, really curious on how they get trapped in a virtual reality laser tag game. <laughs> All right, our last deal. Levine Cuerdo bought world rights to The Lost Ryu by Emily Watanabe-Cohen. In this middle-grade fantasy set in post-World War II Japan, Kohei Fujiwara must team up with his new neighbor to search for the truth, both about Kohei's family history and the disappearance of the giant Ryu that fought in the war. 
publication is slated for fall 2022. Interesting. So this is like, um, I mean, it says middle grade fantasy, but it's like historical fantasy where you have dragons. Yeah. Could be an AU, could be like some sort of like mythical underworld type of situation. Maybe like a spirited away. Sounds interesting. Or it could be like the true queen by Zen Cho. Yeah. Excited to learn more. Uh, and with that, um, that is our latest publishing deals. Lots of new projects coming out in the next four years. Looking forward to learning more about them. Um, but let's move on to our book news. Uh, Rira, what's our first story? Okay, so our first story is the National Book Awards. Um, I think it was in the last mid-month episode where we listed all of the uh, shortlist finalists. And out of those finalists, uh, Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown won National Book Award for Best Fiction. And um, for those of you who don't know anything about Interior Chinatown, the book is a satire about typecasting and stereotypes in Hollywood. And it follows a Taiwanese-American actor named Willis Wu, uh, who longs to graduate from bit roles. Uh, like the delivery guy or striving immigrant, and land the coveted role of kung fu guy. <laughs> I've heard so many great things about Interior Chinatown, including um, also from like Lily Rugo, who is a p- former guest of this podcast and also a bookseller now. Um, yeah. And Charles Yu is the author of How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which was one of our earlier picks in Books and Boba. Yeah. He's also the brother of Kelvin Yu, uh, one of the writers on Bob's Burger, and the friend character in uh, Master of None. Also, Charles Yu worked on Westworld, right? Yeah. I think that's where he gets yeah. a lot. I, I mean, I'm sure that's where he got a lot of inspiration for this book. Um, Interior China actually just got picked up also um, as a TV series. Oh, nice. Yeah. So congrats to Charles um, on the award. Um, Dami Choi's DMZ Colony also won the National Book Award for Poetry. Woven from poems, prose, photographs, and drawings, DMZ Colony is a tour de force of personal and political reckoning set over eight acts. Uh, So from what I've heard about DMZ Colony, uh, it does a lot of like... um, a lot of it is about like South Korea and the United States during um during like the war and mm. like the aftermath. So um yeah, it sounds it sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean the title is pretty provocative if you think about it because like DMZ is the no man's land between North and South Korea and colony it invokes like, you know, obviously colonialism and the presence of US military in South Korea in the last like half century, right? Yep. Yeah. Lots of mixed feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations again to Charles Yu and Don Mi Choi, as well as all of the other finalists. Um, to look at the full list of finalists, just go to the National Book Awards official website and you'll be able to see all of the books listed along with their synopses. Yeah. All right. So our next big story is more more general in terms of publication, but it is it's more general in regards to publishing, um, but I think it's significant enough for us to talk about it. Uh, so Penguin Random House recently won the bidding war for Simon & Schuster with a $2.2 billion offer. Um, so Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, they're part of the big five, 
which is now the big four because they're merging. Um, and Random House used to be a separate publishing house too. So it was big six, big five, big four. Wow. And that was among Penguin, Random House, Hache, HarperCollins, Macmillan, and Simon & Schuster. So when you go to the bookstore and you see like usually the best-selling novels and books, they're going to be from one of these main publishers just because they have um, more marketing power, I, I would say, just like any other big company in any industry. Um, so this this piece of news stirred up some controversy um, because the Author Guild and the American Booksellers Association, they're asking the Justice Department to challenge the purchase uh, because, you know, consolidating two companies together, they're, it's estimate, the, this merger is estimated to take up about like 30% of the U.S. book market, according to the New York Times, which is, which is a lot. Uh, considering how small publishing is. And uh, what that means, essentially, is that there's going to be fewer competing bidders for manuscripts. Um, agents are going to have a tougher time negotiating um, advances and deals for their authors, particularly um, Black and uh, authors of authors of color, as well as queer authors, um, it doesn't merging the two large publishing houses. It's it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to publish more books. It in in actuality, it might shrink. Um, and there's no news on whether or not they're they're just they're gonna like lay off their teams or how they're gonna consolidate. So people are worried about like a lot of the imprints that are underneath uh, both Simon and Schuster and Penguin Random House. Um, yeah, I mean it's always a big deal when two major players merge. I remember my I have personal experience of when Sony bought MGM uh, back when I used to work at Sony Pictures, and you know usually these big mergers also come with culture wars, right? Like whose company culture will end up winning in each department it'd be nice if penguin random house kept all of simon schuster's imprints because i know simon schuster has a lot of like specialized imprints that have been doing really good work but you never know right like when you all come into one corporate umbrella you want to minimize cannibalization which is like your own products stealing each other's market shares so there are benefits to having a bigger presence but there are also a lot of drawbacks. And usually when a big player gains more power, it's the little guys that end up losing the most, right? Your independence, your smaller players. Yeah, there are so many smaller press that um, have been doing really good work over the past few years, um, like publishing authors of color and also just um, having like good relationships with indie bookstores. And if you think about like how a lot of these authors don't really have a marketing budget or a publicity budget to begin with. Like, it's even going to be lower now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's also, like, the question of how many books are they going to buy at auction? And also just, like, I worry about some of the toxic books. 
you know <laughs> yeah like like every like every couple of months there's like that one book that gets picked up for like seven figures and it's like why did they pick this up it's clearly racist or <laughs> you know clearly problematic i mean that's a problem um, that both penguin random house and simon <laughs> schuster have dealt with in the past so i, I mean I it's, it's a, yeah gonna... it's a problem that all major publishing houses have had and you know like that means you have to hire more a more diverse team yeah but when you're merging two companies together it's like are you going to get rid of are you going to get rid of your staff um are you going to um will your staff have leverage will they have like the power to to say no to racist <laughs> projects and say why it's bad yeah and not get fired i mean i think that's something we need to keep uh, i think that's something we'll keep monitoring as this um deal goes through i'd be interested to see what happens to all the imprints um, will they merge? Imp- will they merge similar imprints, or will they get just get rid of them? Um, nothing is for certain right now, but it bears keeping an eye out. So I think we'll keep monitoring this as we go along. I mean, we don't really have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of um, authors that we've read for this book club, you know, they're from Penguin, they're from Simon and Schuster. So um, we'll just have to see. Yeah. All right, so our last piece of news is about Albert Whitman Coe's royalty delays. Um, So this happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, The conversation was sparked by Joan He, the author of Descendant of the Crane. Um, She shared on her Twitter about her experience with her publisher, Albert Whitman and Coe, how they've been failing to pay her royalties on time and um, how they have violated her contract by not paying her on time. And um, that meant that the rights for her book got reverted back to her as her contract. But they went ahead and published the paperback edition of Descendant of the Crane um, back in October, I I believe. Um, And that's essentially copyright violation because they don't own the copyright anymore to Joni's book. Yeah. So uh that sparked a huge conversation on just like the publisher in general and how they've been treating authors and illustrators and about their lack of transparency. Um a lot of authors uh there's there's this um there's this in-depth feature on on all of this on Publishers Weekly. And a lot of authors have expressed complaint about how they would get paid like almost like half a year late on their royalty payments, um, how they couldn't get a hold of any of their representatives um, or how like checks would get supposedly lost in the mail and never reach them. Um, They've been... From from what I understand, they've been contacted by like the Author Guild and like the Copyright Association, um, just for a lot of the failings that they've had in the past. And um, yeah, like I think it's I think it's kind it, it's really sucky that an <laughs> author of color had to. I mean, it's sucky that all authors and illustrators had to be treated like this. They they you deserve to be paid for your work on time. And if you own your own story, then you should have the right to sell that story to a different publisher and rehome your book 
rather than them selling illegal copies of your book and still profit off of it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Albert Whitman and Co. Are they a big publisher or are they a smaller one? They're they're pretty... So they're mid-tier, but they've been around for a very long time. Um, I think they're like 102 years old. Like I, um, hold on. Right. So they, they, they've been around since 1919. They're most famous for publishing the Boxcar Children Mysteries. Okay. I mean, so I wasn't familiar with this controversy, um, mainly because I've been off social media for the last like few months. I mean, just from like looking at the story, it seems odd that a publisher that has at least some pedigree would be doing this unless A, like they've been doing this for a while and just assume they wouldn't get caught. And B, they did this because she's a woman of color. I think I think like definitely like authors of color are particularly vulnerable in these circumstances. Um, but it seems like they've been doing this for a while. Um they were purchased by new owners back in 2008. And I'm guessing that like that was where it started with the lack of transparency. Yeah. Um, a lot of these authors have hired lawyers and uh, accountants to figure out like where the money is going. And there's just like no paper yeah. trail. And it's kind of wild that this happens with like a book that came out pretty recently. Like, I remember last it year. It came out this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember last year there was that controversy with No No Boy, but that at least had like a complicated paper trail that you know spanned generations. Like this is something that like they probably signed like a few years ago. Yeah, and it's like what what really sucks is that Joan He she you know her lawyer sent a cease and desist uh letter, and they had thirty days to you know to take all of the paperback editions off the shelves and, um, you know, like actually comply with their request. And they did not comply. Um, They did pay her her royalties, thank God. But that doesn't mean that they own the right to her book. Yeah. So essentially, in my opinion, this might be harsh for like to say this, but in my opinion, that's like no better than pirating. (laughs) (laughs) only that you're like getting the money like pirators sometimes like they're not gonna make money off of it but um selling illegal copies of someone else's work is not right um yeah what is it um also our our november book of the month uh is ignite the stars by more on milan and that book is also published by albert whitman and co and Mora had said on Twitter as well that she's had um, a hard time getting in touch with Albert Whitman and Co. on royalty payments and how it's been like very difficult corresponding with them and how it, how it has actually affected her uh, love for her previous books, which I think is a shame because Ignite the Stars was her debut novel. Yeah. So, I mean, she has another book coming out uh, with a different publisher, but, you know, you should you should be <laughs> proud of your work and get paid for it. Yeah, especially since, you know, a lot of these, yeah, especially since, you know, getting published is a dream for so many authors to, like, be taken advantage of by your publisher. Sounds like something that shouldn't be happening at this level at this point of time. But Yeah, especially during <laughs> freaking COVID, you know? Like, it's understandable because... 
you know, like everybody ha- experiences delays with with COVID. Money flow can be complicated, but it's been happening for a very long time. And, you know, like payments shouldn't be later than six months. That's yeah, that's insane. Well, uh, we at Books and Boba obviously support the authors um, and we support good business practices. So I guess shame on you, Albert Whitman and co. I'm, I'm not sorry I bought Mora Milan's book, but I am sorry that I gave money to you. I wish that money would go to Mora yeah. like, quickly. <laughs> we should have just asked her for like a copy and just given her like a, a, a Venmo or something. I actually met Mora at her book launch because um, she did her launch at my local bookstore. Mm. And, you know, like, it, it's really sad because she was super excited and she was super nice. And uh, there were a lot of people there who were supporting who were uh, supporting her launch. And, you know, it was like a really big celebration. And, yeah, to, to feel like... To, to feel like your work didn't matter... To to be like disrespected like that, yeah, it's not it's not a good it's feeling. It's a shame. Well, hopefully, hopefully things get better for everyone involved, um, and hopefully Albert Whitman and Co. learns from their mistakes. Um, their apology statement was it, it was not good. Uh, of course. <laughs> well, um, but anyway, yeah. uh, all of the, all of this can be looked up on Publishers Weekly. <laughs> so if you want to know more information about that, just just. Google it and it'll pop up. Yeah. Um, and that's the news. Rira, we are now at the last month of 2020. How do you feel? Are you glad this year is almost over? I feel like next year is just going to be an extension of this year. So I don't really <laughs> <laughs> check back in with me in February <laughs> when we have a new administration and yeah, hopefully things are better. <laughs> Well, we'll be back next week um, to talk about our November book club pick, Ignite the Stars by Maura Milan. Um, so check back in with us. Um, we'll also be announcing our December book pick um, pretty soon. So keep an eye on our social media. But with that, um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Rira, I'm glad you survived weekend one of the holiday season. Um, good luck with the rest of the year. I hope so too. <laughs> I wish myself good luck. I also wish you good luck and also our listeners good luck. (laughs) Happy holidays, everyone. Um, Stay safe out there. And yeah, we'll see you next time on Books and Bulba. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Bulba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Mm, but 
It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.